Hi, I'm Stephen Thorne. I first met Peter Horn in 1999 at the Breadloaf School of English in Vermont. We shared the stage together uh, on a wonderful Shakespeare project. You're listening to episode four of the Point of Learning podcast, recorded at the Breadloaf School of English in Vermont. Let's take a listen. On today's show, a little something different. I'll be speaking with four graduate students at the Middlebury Breadloaf School of English. Let's meet them, shall we? Sarah Murphy is a librarian at a K-12 independent school in New York City who teaches reference skills, media literacy, and research writing. She was recently featured in Teen Vogue for a piece on how to identify fake news. It's also so important for the for students to be able to evaluate the different sources that they do find. So finding is one thing, searching is one thing, but you know, being able to tell the difference between the, the source that's going to help you and the source that's not for any number of reasons is such a huge, huge, huge part of the mm-hmm. process. Stacy Rogers teaches English, film, and theory of knowledge at a public high school in Austin, Texas. Her current teaching load is 130 students the lowest she's had in 10 years, by the way. Ultimately, why, why I love doing what I, what I do is that I feel that it's a, a portal into thinking about the world in different ways, right? So we're reading, you know, these texts and these are, we're getting into the minds of these people. And, um, but also at that same time, like you have, you're in order to really engage with it, you have to evaluate it in terms of your own experience. Amy McNeil teaches English and journalism at a public junior high school in Utah. Uh, She teaches all three of her school's grades, 7th, 8th, and 9th. She also does yearbook, the student council, the newspaper. It may be that she does too many things. In a way, writing is never done. It's just due. You just have to give it to somebody to read it. And you have, like, whether you're going to go publish it or whether you're giving it to a teacher, whether you're giving it to a friend or whatever you're doing with your writing, at just at some point you have to be done with it because you've, you've got to give it to a reader. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. Robin Horn is a theater teacher at a performing arts magnet school. She teaches freshmen and juniors acting, playwriting, dramaturgy, directing. She was the Teacher of the Year for 2017, and I get to talk with her about school and students nearly every day because we're married. We're in this class right now where, like, everything is out the window. Every, that's that's strong. Maybe not everything's out the window, but every assignment ends with the sentence, leave some rough edges, which is so freeing. And he encourages us to embrace cliche, embrace sentimentality, And it's really made the process of writing so enjoyable. I sought these four friends out to help us explore the question, what is the idea about writing or the teaching of writing you'd most like to die? Which I posted on social media to crowdsource responses. Today's episode will also showcase some of these posts read by the authors. As you know, Point of Learning is a show about what and how and why we learn. In this first season, I'm tracing strong influences on me in my early teaching. 
Breadloaf was transformative for me as a master's student, which I was happily each summer between 1999 and 2003. The Vermont campus of the school holds many fond memories of challenging classes, great theater, and opportunities to make friends with teachers working in different kinds of schools across the country. So let's get started. If you're not a teacher of writing, this episode is still for you. As Amy discovered a little while back. I asked a group of my friends, none of whom were teachers, a few years ago because I wanted to know so that I could share it with my students. What are some of the things, when do you need to write? And every one of them without exception said I, I write all the time. Whether it's just emails to colleagues or reports or any sort of thing. I had a friend who was an engineer one who worked in construction management, um, one who worked was a graphic designer for a company, and they all said that they that writing was important and that it was important to be able to communicate ideas. Act one, essays. The ubiquitous generic term for school writing takes its name from the French verb essayer, which means to try, as in to try out or test an idea. It's a tribute to Michel de Montaigne, the 16th century philosopher who popularized the genre. Unfortunately, things in school have veered a good deal from his aim of writing to discover what he thought, most upsettingly for many teachers and students in the form of what is called the five-paragraph essay, a tidy script including one paragraph each for introduction, three main points, and a conclusion that too often presents nothing new. As you will hear, the five-paragraph essay was a popular candidate for the idea about writing that teachers and professors would most like to die. Stacy gets us started. When I'm thinking about essays, which I think are weird things that exist in the world, um, I remember learning about Montaigne a little bit uh, as like background knowledge for like teaching Hamlet. But I was just so amazed by his writing because he's sort of credited with inventing the essay. But what he wrote was like, look at my belly button. Isn't that weird? Like, I never noticed that. But, you know, he wrote these really just sort of very personal things that often went someplace interesting, which is why people still read him now. Uh, and and what so much of, of Hamlet's musings are, are, you know, connecting to this idea of wonder about the self. Um, so yeah, that's kind of... Uh, and I, some of the some of what I was thinking as I was reading through these ideas. That kind of goes to what a lot of people mentioned, which was the five paragraph essay or the mm -hmm. very the very rigid form. I'm Daniel Turkeltaub, associate professor of classics at Santa Clara University, and the idea about the teaching of writing that I'd most like to die is the five paragraph essay. I imagine it's a useful tool for introducing argumentative writing, but students reproduce it mechanically when they learn only the blueprint and not the principles of argumentation, paragraph structure, and exposition that would allow them to progress to more sophisticated writing. I've seen more than a few eight-page papers comprising exactly five paragraphs, and most papers I receive suffer from those dreadful funnel introductions and conclusions with their vaguely stated theses. The problem isn't isn't the model itself, it's just that we often don't teach students that there are other ways to write or that there are, there are methods beyond the 
organization that we've taught them that's really only valuable in academia. <laughs> Nobody, five paragraph essays, I, I suppose have their place in writing a research paper. There's a, there's a kind of organization, but nobody outside of academia writes anything remotely like that. That's, that's not quote unquote real writing. I'm Al Morales, a public middle school administrator in New Jersey, and the idea about the teaching of writing I'd most like to die is the five-paragraph essay. Changing our minds requires a moment of surprise in order to make our former beliefs vulnerable to change. The five-paragraph formula exposes everything and leaves little room for surprise. If I agree with the claim, I'll look for opportunities to agree with the author and further solidify my position. If I disagree, I'll look for holes to discredit the so-called facts. So let's give students license to find new and inventive ways to create the surprise necessary to change minds. Hi, this is Noni Thomas-Lopez, Assistant Head of School for Teaching and Learning at Ethical Culture Fieldson School. We are a pre-K through 12 independent school located in the Bronx and Manhattan in New York City. So, the idea about the teaching of writing that I would most like to die is the idea that the thesis statement must come at the end of the first paragraph in any expository essay. Students should be allowed to experiment with different ways to lay out their argument like real writers do. We're teaching this five-paragraph essay as like, this is how you speak the language of writing. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are so many different ways to approach it. And if you look at the five-paragraph essay as just one form, because you can't throw it out. You can't throw it out the window and send them off to college and not have them learn it because there's going to be teachers who want that and they need to know those skills. Mm -hmm. But to have that as part of the vocabulary instead of the only vocabulary, I, uh, I think is, is great. The night before we recorded, Robin and I were sitting on the back deck of the Breadloaf Theater with some other teachers talking about how strange it is that we ask kids to read fiction like novels and short stories. But so many times we only ask them to respond to it by writing nonfiction, namely essays. The idea that we're looking at all these different forms of writing, of, of poetry and plays, but you're responding to them all through the same form, through this five-paragraph form, this analytical form. Um, and it would be so wonderful to have that just be a, a part, a part of, the, of, of the, the, the communication, a part of the way that you're learning to write, not all of it. We also talked about how important models of strong nonfiction writing can be. I learned writing by reading. I continue to learn writing by reading. And one thing that I notice that my students are not, the, the reading that they are assigned is either um, novels, fiction, poetry, sometimes plays, um, but very rarely any kind of article, um, which is most of the reading that most of us do most adults probably read articles more than anything else, either online or in print. I think that's an important thing to give students are good models. It's important for students to have something that they can look at and model and that 
that gives them other opportunities to try new forms. That, yeah. that this essay format is not the only, like you said, it's not the only option. They have this whole array of ways in which they can format their writing, but giving them the models, finding those models and say, look what this writer did here. Let's try and model that. Let's try and recreate that in in a different way. It gives, it gives them a, a sense of ownership and a sense of being able to use their writing as good thinking. And as we use writing to think, it can be helpful to remember that we are not playing Scrabble. The best word isn't necessarily the longest one. Hi, this is Alexis Anderson Uriola from New Jersey, and the idea about writing that I'd most like to see die is the focus on big words. I dislike the idea that using complex vocabulary results in sophisticated writing. It's not Scrabble. Big words don't win points. I tell my students, if you would never say a word aloud, you should never write it. Act two, audience. The traditional transaction for high school writing assignments is teacher assigns, student writes for teacher. A number of people responded with the desire for more varied, authentic audiences. Hi, this is Susan Lytle. I'm an emeritus professor of literacy from the University of Pennsylvania. I believe that students of all ages need authentic audiences for their writing. And there are really a million ways to make that happen, both in and out of the classroom, especially with some of the affordances of the internet. Too much school writing is into a vacuum, or for the teacher only. Stacy introduced the interdisciplinary nature of writing. I do wish, I know, to play a perfect world, I do wish we had more time to collaborate with teachers across mm -hmm. the school, in, in our schools, because I mean, I think every, I don't think that frustrations with the way students write is, is something that only English teachers experience. Mm -hmm. um, and writing is a part of many of the, especially when they get into high school, it's a part of their demonstration of knowledge in many of the of the areas. So, I don't know, I, I am really interested that it's the science teachers that are the most interested in your assistance uh, as a librarian. Well, in, in those cases, I think that they, even in middle school, they model their work, and I'm sure this is true um, of Molly, who talks about AP Biology lab reports, Molly is a high school science teacher who wrote that the idea about writing she'd most like to, to die is the idea that writing for subjects other than English doesn't require any of the form, function, or flow learned in students' English classes. She believes students need to apply all of the skills they've learned in English class to their, for example, AP Bio lab reports so their teacher doesn't lose her mind trying to decipher them. They're really looking at the peer-reviewed system of writing right. journal articles mm -hmm. to discuss your findings. And, and as um, science teachers, that's the process they've gone through. And so it's the process that they want to prepare their students to go through. And I really mean this even in middle school. Um, so they see that as so essential, but they also recognize that it requires 
skills outside of the scientific method and mm-hmm. outside of what they're doing in their labs. And they remember, I'm sure, as teachers and as humans, where they learned to write. And they remembered the the necessity of applying your writing understanding to other subjects. That also speaks to the idea of writing for an audience. Mm-hmm. That you're going to write differently when you're writing a science peer-reviewed article than you are if you're going to do an article in the New Yorker because you have a different audience. And so understanding the changes that you're going to make is crucial to to creating a coherent piece of writing and a, a piece of writing that's going to accomplish the purposes you want it to accomplish. My name is Nancy Latimer and I am an educational technology specialist in New Jersey. The idea about the teaching of writing that I'd like most to die is the concept that we are still exclusively writing for old media, such as print publications. For example, I have a son who writes a very popular blog about physical fitness, and he has often remarked to me about the fact that schools don't teach students how to write for an entirely different audience, such as he does on the web. A lot of people here mentioned that that was something they would like, that that in school, writing is most often just given to the teacher for the teacher to read and it's part of the how the system is kind of set up you know they they do something and turn it in for a grade and then they get it back that's that's the way that school works but that that that's not the way that writing is perhaps most effective hi this is warren hines i teach english and journalism at westfield high school in new jersey The idea of the teaching that I'd like to see go away is the idea that the teacher is the audience for publication of essays and whatever written pieces students have done. I believe that it's really important for students to forego the teacher as main audience, but to turn to blogs, to publications, to wider audiences that receive their written work. As a journalism teacher, I see every day when students are able to put their work out there and have others read it, there's a whole other level of satisfaction and fulfillment that they experience. And I think we can do that throughout our teaching to expand the audience that receives the student's work so that they can feel so much more gratified and proud of themselves and receive much more feedback for the work that they've done. Act three, author. What about the creator of a piece of writing? The panel considers what's worth kids' time to write, single versus multiple authors, and the power of each student's unique voice. Sarah, you said one of the things you'd like to say goodbye to is a blue book <laughs> essay, right? We should say that this is this is like an old school kind of college format. I think that's where a lot of people would recognize blue books when used mm-hmm. in college, but it's still used in some... Uh, kinds of uh, schools under the, you know, post-secondary level, uh, where kids have no recourse to anything else. It's yeah. just a timed piece of writing, and just from your own brain, you'd like to see this go bye-bye. Why? Well, I think it's partly due to the fact that I am a librarian and not a an English teacher, and that I see... I measure success in my students by their um, curiosity and their ability to find information, to want to look for information, 
And so the idea of saying only your your brain is own is the only tool you have for the next hour and a half fill this book with what's in your brain to me is very antithetical to what looks like learning to me um and it is i think pretty product based not process based uh and i think that the stresses of that environment are horrific. I don't think it's as valuable to to know all the things as to be able in, you know, 2017, we have access to all of those sources that it's more important to know how to access the information than to have all of the information stored. And you, Robin, had a... <laughs> A professor, a professor, beloved pre- professor, Teresa Choate, who in reference to her brain and specifically her memory, you know, would say, I, I don't remember, I have a very bad hard drive, but an excellent search engine. <laughs> you know, I know where to look and who to talk to. And yeah, not just not just what books to look at, but like who to reach out to, who to who to communicate with about certain topics to yeah and that speaks to collaboration which we haven't really touched on Mm. in writing but that does seem so important to me in terms of real world life skills and obviously in a vacuum in a test taking situation a timed assessment with a blue book in front of you there's no collaboration either with a another author of another piece or the a, a classmate or someone who's an expert um, and those are things that I think it's valuable for students to to be able to access and I also just want to say one more thing about the search engine it's also so important for the for students to be able to evaluate the different sources that they do find so mm-hmm. finding is one thing searching is one thing but you know being able to tell the difference between the the source that's going to help you and the source that's not for any number of reasons is such a huge, huge, huge part of the Mm -hmm. process. Yeah, one thing I notice that is another thing that I'd like to see die is some students get their voice beat out of them. Like some Um, students already have the voice mm -hmm. and I had a student, I actually, was for for me I was lucky enough to have him for all three years of junior high I probably wasn't as lucky for him but (laughs) he just had this brilliant (laughs) writing voice he it was so full of personality but he was he was really smart and he got his points across well but just delicious writing and I told him probably 25 times that to never let anyone beat that out of him because I know that's a thing when when some teachers are looking for something specific or looking for this analytical or whatever that, that they, they say, oh, you know, you're not supposed to use first person or you're not supposed right. to use any mm-hmm. of these, these kinds of techniques. And I don't want this kid to lose his brilliant voice. I don't want him to lose part of himself by having to conform to the system. And so I made sure to tell him a lot, if you... If you have to do other stuff, that's fine, but don't ever lose this part of yourself. Make sure that you keep the voice you already have. Act four, purpose. In this section, the panel takes on how we think about the purpose of writing. 
In other words, what do we want students to get out of their writing? What, what do we as educators and citizens want out of it? Is the point to demonstrate learning, or should writing be about discovery and self-reflection? Maybe it should be about a more just and democratic society. It's all possible. Robin gets us started by talking about a playwriting class that she's taking right now. So we're in this class right now where like everything is out the window. Every, that's, that's strong. Maybe not everything's out the window, but every assignment ends with the sentence, leave some rough edges, which is so freeing. Mm -hmm. And he encourages us, encourages us to embrace cliche, embrace sentimentality. And it's really made the process of writing so enjoyable. And so since I teach freshmen, I just feel like 100% all the way, that's the way I'm going to teach playwriting with my freshmen. I'm going to rough edges, embrace sentimentality, embrace repetition, embrace all these like bad, you know, they're so worried about being boring or repeating ideas that they've heard before. I yeah. mean, I really feel like go there first. <laughs> like don't let go of all the judgment and don't worry. I mean, and the, but the hard thing is that you sort of necessarily have to then let go of the grade. Like, how do you have, like, have a rubric and say also, like, leave some rough edges? And mm. so that's a really hard thing about being a teacher. I mean, can we throw grades out? Is that please. an option? Yes. Pretty, 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 please. That's a whole different discussion. Yeah. Is it? I don't know. Maybe yeah, I don't it's know. not. Maybe it's not. Uh. Hi, this is Eleanor Lear, and I teach at a private school in New Jersey in high school English. And the idea about teaching of writing that I would most like to die is writing solely for a grade. Writing for a grade serves a purpose for some kids, but writing for an authentic audience gets better results. I would like to see students invest as much in their writing for class as they do in their college essays. I like the idea of progress, though. Yeah. Because, in a way, writing is never done. It's just due. You just have to give it to somebody to read it. And you have, like, whether you're going to go publish it or whether you're giving it to a teacher, whether you're giving it to a friend or whatever you're doing with your writing, at just at some point you have to be done with it because you've, you've got to give it to a reader. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. And the idea of making progress where you start to where you finish, it's okay if you have some rough edges, but is it, did you learn something along the way? Did you make progress from where you used to be? Yeah. And, and thinking about maybe grading writing on, in that model, rather than did you meet every single criteria on this, this universal rubric that I'm going to use for every single student? Where were you and where are you now? And that well. Could be a and a reflective thing. component to writing also is nice, right? Though you you know you wouldn't, mm -hmm. <clears throat> which I mean to like to what I where I started like kind of like putting yourself in there like it's not going to be writing isn't going to be interesting if the person writing is not interested in what they're talking about, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We have tasks. We are all I'm sure behoven uh, to some sort of tests that our st students will have to take that will determine whether they advance. Um, yeah, nevertheless, if like, e even even if it might cost you a few points on a test, but you can teach your kids to write about what they're write about what they think is interesting in within the task that they have, it's 
even if it's, I'd rather an interesting piece of slop, sloppy uh, syntax than a perfectly formed uh, set of paragraphs that don't mm-hmm. go anywhere, mm-hmm. uh, but that are very neat and they conform to a formula. This is Heather Rocco from New Jersey. The idea about the teaching of writing that I'd most like to die is that there is a formula students need to follow to make writing, quote unquote, good. That five paragraph essays are sufficient, that thesis statements have three points, that conclusions need to summarize your argument, that you cannot use first or second person in your writing, and that fragments are bad. Ultimately, why, why I love doing what I, what I do is that I feel that it's a, a portal into thinking about the world in different ways. You're reading The God of Small Things is a text I love to teach, right? And so, R and Daddy Roy, having them like, okay, here we are at this point in the novel, like, who's the good, is there a good guy? Who is the good guy? And what makes them good, according to your way of thinking about the world? Is your understanding of the world kind of being modified by by the this the her way of portraying the world? Like, you know, because it's a novel about justice, it's a novel about... Uh, everything but you know you, you what and also even that like I love it for that too like what is it that you see I, I can I can tell you what to think about it but also I mean there are endless possibilities uh, for what you could find in this one of the things that some kids have been trained unfortunately to deliver is what the teacher thinks about the book right like that's that's, that's one of the things that they've been trained to do and, one, and, and so that there is a right answer to right. do this and to you know, to make sure that you're opening it up to say writing is about discovery. Right. You know, writing is about this. Com- I, I want to know what you understand about it, but I and, also want to know what you think and, and what you feel right. if and you're going to I put that love, out there. There's right. nothing that I would love better for then for you to point me to something that I I don't already know. Like that would that's the most fun for me as a teacher. You know, in terms of reading or writing, is to is to hear like that. You know, you're really excited about this or interested in this, but moreover that like. You know, you're seeing this in a way that I'm not telling you how to see it. You're seeing it on your own terms. And of course, with that, you, you know, you have to defend your idea, like that it has to be based in, in details, you know, and you have to push back on all that so that they um, become good readers. <laughs> I mean, which is another, like to me, I think the most important thing about writing is like, you know, learning, like demonstrating that you've learned how to read. Things get a little playful here, as I have the rare opportunity to call out Sarah Murphy. Even when I am writing an email to someone, if I want to persuade them of something, you better believe there's going to be some secondary sources in there uh, that I will link to in the course of this email. I do believe it. I think you probably received one or two of these emails. Not a primary source. Here's a a blog I've already written on this topic. No? No? You've done that. You looked at me like, oh, I've done that before. I mean, I've, well, I've quoted I did, myself. I did. I, yeah, that's what I thought. I was giving um, travel tips for Ireland to some friends, and I linked to my own trip revi- advisor review. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. See? I, I see you. It seems like working. something I want my students to be able to do. I right. want them to be able to review things yeah. online mm-hmm. and yeah. to look at other reviews and to understand what that might mean and to think about that and then also be able to show someone, oh, here's here's an example of something I've written online. And, and these skills are just completely absent. And yeah. 
those of those of them who have them have them the way we have them because they've picked them up they've taught they've they've mm-hmm. taught themselves they've okay. figured it out they're not they're not learning it and clearly those are the kinds of things that as adults or even just citizens they're going to want to be able to do and i'd like for us to have some role in teaching them that for more on the difference between learning and acquisition the process by which Sarah's saying many students pick up and teach themselves internet-based reference skills. See the related segment in Point of Learning episode number one. Act five. Gotta have five acts for the English teachers listening today. This last one is about the process of writing, including being honest about how hard it is. I think there there are two things that I do with that. One is showing the models of my own writing process, showing them multiple versions of something that I've created and where it started that was really awful and ha- you know, places where I've made those or writing in front of my students and showing them this is this is I'm going to try this and ver- you know, giving them a um verbalizing my thought process and my working through that. The other is um, show, giving them multiple options of ways to work through the process of drafting something because what works for one student isn't going to work for all of the students. Some students need to have an outline of a fiction story that they're writing. They've got to know every single thing that happens before they can draft the thing. Some students need to discover it as they're writing it. Every writer has a little bit different process, and so teaching students that that here are some tools. I'm going to give you some tools. These are some possible ways you could do it. You know, see if, try these out, see which one works for you or come up with your own way. You need a system, but your system isn't going to be the same as every other person's. Not every person needs a graphic organizer for all of these exact steps that you're going to follow A to Z. Some people need that, but some people need other things and giving them a a toolbox of options helps a lot, I think, with creation that's so good that you share your work with students and that's something that I am committing to doing this coming year <laughs> that writing with my kids that <clears throat> when I give them a writing assignment oh, yeah. to take it on maybe not everyone because there's a zillion <laughs> things to do and sometimes you need to steal a minute to answer a parent's email but I mean oh what a cool to struggle with them to write with them to struggle with them to work through ideas to backtrack and, and go through that process with them and show them that that's, you know, that's, that's, I don't know, and that's part of the joy of it. That's part of the fun. Well, and we keep saying joy and fun. I would describe writing as, and I am an English teacher, I would say maybe if I'm lucky, 20% of the time I'm writing, am I happy and enjoying myself, right? Like, yeah, that's and, high, actually. That's and that's, prob- that's probably not that, right? It, do I, do, I mean, I'm in, here I am at Breadloaf School of English graduate program doing it of my own volition. There's very, uh, it's really mostly because I, I want to do this because I want to keep studying, but like I've got to go after this and sit and, and be tortured in front of a computer screen. And at the end of it, I'll be glad I did it. Part of being authentic too is being open and honest with students about what writing really is and not seeing it as um, writing is this structured form, writing is 
timed or test driven, that writing is messy, that writing is hard. The number of times this summer that I've said, oh, writing is so hard. I need to like, it's, it's a high number. <laughs> writing is really difficult and writing takes, takes collaboration, writing takes lots of revision, lots and lots and lots of revision and being open with students about this is hard and it might be a little bit miserable and it's gonna be messy is I think empowering being open and authentic about what writing is helps them and helps them be more open to the process. As Robin said a minute ago, sometimes teachers do need to attend to urgent business while class is in session. I get that. However, I believe this this uh, this aspect of modeling it, it's just so important. You know, I have you know like you know clearly there are limits. You're not going to sit down and take your final exam alongside students and be like, wow, I'm I'm kicking you know I'm kicking tail on this answer too. I'm, I'm really you're like you're not going to do that. But to ask them to write about something, to reflect on something. And, you know, have them do it but, and have them see you doing it as well. And then you can talk with them about something that you're doing in real time. I mean, there's just to me, there's nothing clearer that shows this is this is valuable in, in, in much the same way. I, I, it's always a pet peeve and it's maybe irrational of me. But, you know, when 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 somebody, you know, shows a film in class or and sits back like reading papers or doing email or whatever, you know, just say, like, how could that not be sending the message? I'm going to expect you to see this, but I'm not interested in this, yeah. or I've seen it before. Like, this isn't, you know, this isn't interesting to me. Like, I'm watch, I'm here with you in real time, and, like watching you, watching this with you, and, and I want to be able to talk with you about what you just saw and remind myself of it. And yeah, how much ahead. does it validate right. that the the activity? If you've seen this film that you're showing. 50 times and yet you're still ex interested finding exactly and exactly the other thing that's that I try to do is when students see things every year I've taught Hamlet for 10 years and that means I've also taught it like probably 40 times because of the or more because of the number of sections of the class I have right like to so literally 300,000 kids from when I'm uh, Texas something like that right. approximately uh, big classes shout out a million Anderson kids. Trojan alum um, but uh, but you know there are still things that I haven't even seen but students see that may like yeah. like I'm not teaching them text that I'm like I know this one I got yeah. it all Right? I'm teaching them text mm -hmm. that I still, and if I do feel that way, I'm like, I'm tired of teaching this one. <laughs> Let's push it out of the curriculum. And so you should. Yeah. Uh, right? Because if I'm not excited to do it again, then they're going to know that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there are texts that kind of can hold up to that, that they like, but. Robin, our theater teacher panelist, is about to talk a bit of drama process as a means for physically working through ideas about literature. She's going to mention tableau, which is short for tableau vivant, French for living picture. As Amy will confirm, English teachers can use tableau as an exercise in which students imagine a scene from a given book or other situation that they then inhabit, striking poses without further movement or speech. There is something that I do when we're talking about plays where students are sort of creating tableaus to communicate theme, to communicate like, what do you think happens after this play? What do you think happens in sort of this gap in the play where we don't follow the characters or we don't know what's going on? 
Um, so they're working collaboratively and they don't have to verbalize first. They sort of, they, they, they get it, but they maybe can't say it. And so they put it in their body and it's, you know, sort of timed. You've got this amount of time and create these pictures. So I really, I really like, um, I really like that exercise and I feel like it leads to some really fruitful conversation. I do that same thing in my class, in my English classroom. And it's amazing just getting a different sort of literacy and a different Mm -hmm. sort of expression by putting it in their physicality. And do you have that, do you have that experience sometimes that kids that, you know, maybe hang back when there's a discussion or or aren't as strong in writing can step to the fore in Mm -hmm. that kind of situation? Absolutely. And they can express ideas differently with a different medium. I think it's, you know, it's so important to remember, not just with kids who may have, uh, you know, a a developmental difference where it's much easier for them to speak than to write. You know, um, there was the line by uh, Mel Levine, who, who, who said that writing is the largest orchestra that we ask kids to conduct because it's you know, it's, it's, the, it's the composition of the ideas, but then it's dealing with all the sequencing and organization and then all those tiny details that, you know, sometimes people think are the most important, but they're the details of punctuation and spelling and so forth. But it's all of those things that happen at once. For some kids, that's, you know, that's for some adults, you know, that is, you know, that is really, you know, difficult to, to juggle, whereas they may be quite able to, to, to speak out those ideas. And then also kids who are learning English as a, as a second language or a third language, um, they can have quite a difference in terms of oral comprehension, what they can hear, and then orally what they're able to express, and then reading and writing can be at different levels. And that's always important to take into account when you're, you know, that those things are not necessarily at the same level. So coming at those ideas of, you know, coming at those um, points of expression from different ways, you know, can be very important as you're trying to get a sense for, well, where's this kid really at? Mm, this is a whole other topic, but Stacy mentioned at one point, uh, writing with paper and pencil. And I was thinking about Jenny Brand's comment about, um, hi, this is Jenny Brand from Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. The idea about the teaching of writing that I'd most like to die is writing for assignments. Of course, this is important, but I wish that I could see more writing with a pen and paper as a daily exercise. I know teachers have kids journal these days, which is different than my experience in the 80s, but it still feels assigned, like something they have to do. I wish that every class took the first or the last 10 minutes to write, whatever they felt like, with no grade at the end, but lots of help if a kid asks for it. When writing feels like breathing, I believe we'll all be in a better place. Jenny's comments speak to several worthwhile issues, including how to balance digital learning with traditional analog modes like pen or pencil and paper. My students keep notebooks, and I this actually, the way that I do it started with a breadloaf class I took a couple summers ago about rhetoric and the power in, in print, but also in digital media. And so we did a lot with digital stuff, but we also did a lot with... Um, I guess analog sources, right? So we kept all uh, kept a notebook, and we we spent the entire class. We had to have our pen moving somehow. So we we mm. colored pictures, we doodled, we took notes, we drew, and it was it was incredible the 
the sense of engagement that all of us had because we were using our hands the whole time. And it's kind of become an addiction for me in a way. Like I, I, I need to be writing and stuff when I, but it helps me engage with whatever I'm listening to. Um, and I've taught my students that, and a lot of them have said, finally, I have a tool that helps me not zone out in classes, that helps me engage with what I'm doing, because I've taught them how to doodle in their notebooks. And they, it's like this, this wow. whole new world, because they're so... Um, ingra- it's so ingrained to, to have everything digital, that when when they have this tactile thing in front of them, it's a new experience. And so I have them do a lot of, you know, charting and a lot of writing in their notebooks, like like you might journal rights or those kinds of things, but but also just um, engaging with with the physical pieces of paper has made a huge difference in my class. And I have kids that take those notebooks and they just fill them with all of this wonderful stuff. And it's like this creative this creative collection of of their lives and of their ideas and of their experiences and I have I've had a few students who've come back after a couple years and they're like I'm still making notebooks let me show you my notebooks that I've made because they're so engaged with the physicality of it so for me I find that to be very beneficial but we also do a ton of stuff on computers I have a Chromebook lab in my classroom and we do all of that as well so I think there's a place for both of those May there be a place for all of it, and a classroom for any and all teachers like these. That's it for today's crowdsourced edition of the Point of Learning podcast. My great thanks to the panelists Robin Horn, Amy McNeil, Sarah Murphy, and Stacy Rogers, as well as all those in the greater Point of Learning community who contributed ideas about the teaching of writing they'd most like to expire. Thanks also to Mark Wright, Breadloaf Class of 1989, for supplying the lush piano score for today's show, and to you for listening and spreading the word about Point of Learning to anyone interested in what and how and why we learn. See you next month. I don't know. I don't know what my question is. This is very bread loaf. (laughs) You just look down. Signify that you're done speaking. <laughs>